you remember back in the day in high school where you'd get like um, friend requests on Facebook and you just add them and then the next day you'd be tagged in like a photo of shoes and they'd be like Nikes and Adidas shoes with heels, things like that. Do you remember that? Well, is this before eBay? Are we, are we trying to sell them? What? No. The shoes. It's, we're not selling the Why shoes. Why would it be before eBay? When do you think What's eBay right? started? In my high school era, the thing on Facebook is when you like you added someone on Facebook and they accepted your friend request. It used to make a like a post on your wall and other people could see it. And it was like Cooper Martin just became friends with so and so. And like if it was a girl, all your fucking mates would start tagging each other and comment like, "Oh, this is the one you told us about." Like, grim, grim. Welcome to the Night Shift Football Podcast. We are on. It's episode 139, and this week there was no Premier League, but we've got the best of the action from a big weekend of cup footy, as well as a preview of the upcoming Asian Cup. Oh, yeah, it's Socceroos time. Our boy Craig is well amongst it. Can we go all the way in Qatar? Let's go. Another week. Not shit, Woody. Tommy's here. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm doing all right, actually. How Excellent. are you? You've uh, set yourself up with a bit of a picture this week as well in your background on Zoom. Had to. Had to. We're it's paying on. homage to the greatest goal ever uh, scored, I think. Yeah. The greatest goal ever, you think? We'll get to it. Don't uh, worry. It's up there. Listeners will know you're probably talking about leads already. Uh, Cooper's here also. How are you doing, man? Welcome back. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I'm, I'm good, Sam. I'm just, I hope you didn't accept, accept all cookies when downloading that one, Tom. I know you're still learning the internet and if you're not careful, <laughs> big, big Wi-Fi and the big brands might come after your data. He's, he's literally <laughs> just before we started recording, I'm talking about Facebook when we were in high school. So like, 2010, 2009, and he asked about mm. if it was before eBay. So, I, I don't know. I got a feel, strong, <laughs> I got a strong, strong feeling eBay came before Facebook. But you know, you do you, man. Um, gee, big weekend of uh, cup footy. There was plenty happening, plenty of games. Premier League teams all in action now at this stage of the competition. I don't know how you guys feel about the FA Cup. Is it something you you want your team to go out and win, or what is it? What does it mean to you? Um, well, there's no actual chance of my team winning it. So no, nah, there isn't. I like I divorce myself from that a little bit, and I think like as us as overseas consumers of this competition, I think we're allowed to not care about it. I think like it's fine. I think we can yeah. even slander it if we want and say, "No, oh, it's filling up the football calendar. Fucking oh, replays well, and ruining English speak football." Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. I, mean, you I think on that I'm just one. saying you could. I know you took this. You took this route last year with the FA Cup as well. I think. Um, but I, I don't know about you, Cooper. But I tend to still kind of really like the FA Cup, even though Arsenal are now out of it. I I do like the later rounds. I do like uh, the final when they make the final, like kind of the last game of the season, Champions League final pending. But yeah, I think a lot of the big clubs would have been fans of it this year as well, because there's a few teams that that lost players to AFCON and the, and the Asian Cup that we'll get to later that are going to have one week of Premier League football less missing those players. So potentially the FA Cup break came at a good time for them. Um, I don't mind the FA Cup. I just it's, it's clogging the calendar a little bit from a Liverpool perspective at the moment. Obviously, the game on the weekend, thankful win or lose to avoid a replay. Um, but now, you know, tomorrow morning and the morning after we get League Cup semi-final first legs of all mm. things as well. So there's just a little bit going on. I think that once again just falls back to the fact the League Cup exists and the fact the League Cup has uh, two-legged semi-finals. Just a, just a joke. Uh, there's there's a lot of combo going around this week about the FA Cup and whether they should have replays or not. Uh, pretty needless, I would have thought now to have replays in the FA Cup. That's just a purely traditional thing, isn't it? Mm. But isn't that the idea of the cup? Like, if if you continue to do away with the traditions. Like I just that that's why I say as overseas people it doesn't really matter to us like it yeah. should matter more to the people of England. I'm thoroughly oldest cup. Thoroughly enjoying the tradition of having VAR at half the grounds, but not at the other half as well. It's <laughs> really not yeah. making me question the legitimacy of this thing at all. <laughs> really, yeah. Annoying. From um from an officiating point of view, yeah, that really. There's the other. Question. 
the other thing we were talking about on the weekend, we were probably weren't going to talk about Man City's game. I didn't have it in the notes here, but Man City pumped Huddersfield. And and Cooper, you were mentioning how they refused to wear the uh, the the Emirates the FA Cup, obviously sponsored by Emirates. They refused to wear that because it's a rival airline. As though we can't possibly have two airlines on the same planet. Um, what? Why are they letting this happen? City are happy to lift the trophy yeah. and wear the medals and dance on the podium when they win it, but they won't wear the badge on their stupid shirts. Yeah, in my eyes, uh, it's a three nil win to Huddersfield because City should have to forfeit all rights <laughs> to to get results in this competition. But they should also still be forced to play the game so they're not getting a blank calendar week and a bit of a rest. Are we the double whammy? Are we reaching there to say that they should just boot them out, or are we are we being petty, or is it like? City are oh, surely petty, aren't they? I'm not convinced that uh, if there surely was a, a championship club or uh, sorry, a champ- championship club or a lower league club that was sponsored by Emirates and came into the FA Cup and and or sorry, sponsored by Eddie Head and came into the FA Cup and refused to wear the patch on their sleeve, I think there would be a lot more than the little bit of distaste of words that City got from the FA. Yeah, absolutely. I well, think this, so too. This the- this is the thing. If you're going to do every time like a brand juxtaposes another brand or it's like competing or whatever, does this mean every time Luton plays somebody, the opposition team can't have betting sponsors anywhere near it? Because it's like if you can't have competing brands. Yeah, good question. Surely they can start Ooh. demanding these things. Yeah, well, I heard that Alex Ferguson actually uses the the Bank of UK instead of Barclays, so they're going to take all the Premier League titles Man United won away. <laughs> nice. How many of them did Arsenal finish second in? Will I? Um... <laughs> All right, let's talk about some actual football games. Just before we do, I'm going to do the plug thing again. But if you're not already, go around, follow us on Insta, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. Cooper's got some nice new templates for graphics going up. Look at it. Check it out. We just posted about Yakubu tonight. Do you boys remember Yakubu? I love I love Yakubu. You love Yakubu. The Yak, nicknamed. Brilliant. Last week was Stuart Downing. We got plenty more on the way. We're taking recommendations as well. I noticed someone, uh, Bebo, who's been on the pod before to talk about England back in the day, two years ago, I reckon. He um he's he's dropped the names Lauren Robert Robert, um JJ Akocha, who I think we do have already to go, and everyone's favorite Morton Gamps Pedersen. If you don't oh, have Morton Gamps Pedersen ready to go, what up. are we even doing here? You know? Oh we'll have to so, attach that with the highlights clip. That's he was a menace. Yeah, definitely. Stay tuned. But keep them coming. If you've got any recommendations, send them in to us. Let us know. Uh, comment on one of the posts and we'll get it going. Um, footy games. Let's do it. We're going to start with this one. Wigan nil, United 2. Bruno. Hmm. What's going on here? What's going on here? Is it a dive or is he allowed to do it, Cooper? Because there was contact. So he's allowed to, he's allowed to embellish it. He's absolutely allowed to do it. This is. Oh, this is I'm listen to no, it. no, no. I'm gonna go. On, on Least the front is consistent. Here, you, I here we go. Said this morning, when I was um, Nick Andrew Tune that you've mentioned on the podcast before, actually, we had a little bit of a discussion about it in a in a group chat this morning, and I said I actually wish that this one had happened first because I would have taken the same side because this is a penalty every day Did, of the week, and we're skeptical. And, and and I stick by the fact that if Bruno doesn't go to ground here. He's not given a penalty, even though that he's fouled. Why is a defender allowed to come flying out and slide to try and block a shot, get dribbled past? He's not allowed to. Contact. He's, who's saying he's allowed to? Plenty of people. It might not be you, but there's there's plenty of people. I don't know if you've... I know we, we're saying it's all, not all a over the Twitter and Facebook. There are plenty of people that think because that Bruno has, has exaggerated the contact to ensure that he gets the penalty, that this isn't a penalty. But the, the point that people are missing here is whether you think it is a dive or not, whether you think he's exaggerated or not, it has to be a penalty every single time. And and that's what's getting on my nerves more than, than this argument, was it a dive or dive? If you want to call them dives, like just for the sake of discussing it now, this is less of a dive than Jota's last week. Do you think Bruno <laughs> was hurt in that incident? Does he have to be hurt to win a foul? I think you should actually be hurt if you're going to sit on the ground and hold your foot like that and be looking at the ref with tears in your eyes and anguish on your face because you're in so much agony because the defender booted my foot when he's he's been hit by footballs harder than that. Come on. Grazed by the tongue of your shoe, basically. He, for me, it it comes back to like he doesn't need to go down because Kubi is saying he doesn't get the pen if he doesn't go down. But it's like, well, why doesn't he just stay on his feet and score the goal? This is what a the lot- defender does doesn't actually drag him down. It, like it doesn't cause him to fall 
like he this did. Is, this is a lot different to to the Jota one in a sense, though. The the Bruno's not guaranteed to score in this scenario if he stays on his feet. So mm. why disadvantage yourself? Like if if Bruno goes down here and he then tries to pass and his teammate misses or he shoots and he doesn't hit the target, he's not coming back and getting the penalty. And this is that mm. whole thing going back to again that referees should be able to spot that regardless of whether Bruno is brought to ground by this foul or not, that it's a penalty. And if Bruno stays on his feet, has a shot, misses, the referee should be coming back and giving this as a penalty. But he just yeah. wouldn't be if Bruno doesn't go down. And that's why we're in an era now where footballers are feeling the contact and going down because they know it's what they have. Nah, it it's so technical. And I think uh, you said, like, you see the game differently to Sammy and I because you reckon this was 10 on 10 pen. And it's like, I reckon it's because, I mean, Sammy watches it too. But yeah, I reckon if you watch a lot of American sports where there are a lot of technical fouls given for, you know, infringements, uh, like touching, jumping, things like that. There is some similarity, but like, this isn't what penalties were given for like 20 years ago. It's a different game. Just, we all know that. The, game, game's, the game's changed. I know, it's a diff- I know it's a different game, but the challenges haven't changed. Like they've gotten safer, if anything. And I feel like we're giving away more penalties for less and it just continues but- to exacerbate this is a lot of the chatter too you're saying like the challenges aren't worse they're safer but Mm. when we talk about penalties we're not talking about player safety when we talk about red cards and we talk about um dominic calvert lewin earlier in the week where he went studs up halfway up a guy's leg barely made contact and was still sent Mm. off that's a player safety thing that's where sam and i actually we hard agree on that one that a player shouldn't have to have his leg broken by a challenge yeah that's just of course right of course that's where no, player safety comes into but he's, it. But he's never going to have his leg broken in this challenge. No, but he doesn't need to have his leg broken for it to be a foul. It, Bruno going into the box, a touch on a, a striker or a midfielder, in this case of Bruno, driving into the box, a touch on his foot that stops him from being able to take the step that he was going to take. Whether he can still take a step, it's a different one to the one that he's able to take if that contact doesn't come. It's a foul. Mm. Uh- Still slightly disagree. I I, I, I don't know if every little bit of contact me, means foul. Riddle me this, Tom. You're the one that when I said this is a 10 out of 10 pen, you said, well, mm. oh, hold on, 9 out of 10 because Nonto didn't get a... Do you want Nonto yeah. to stay on his feet there? Because the contact on the Nonto challenge is no different to the contact in this one. Do you want Nonto to stay on his feet and try and score and not get a penalty? I know he didn't get it anyway, but he should have. And if there was VAR at mm. that ground, he would have got it. But had he mm. stayed on his feet, VAR or not, he wouldn't have got a penalty. But you were having a cry over Nonto not getting a penalty. So which is it? Oh, I never had a cry about is there, is it. There, I just, I just he, brought up the a... fact that sometimes they are given and sometimes they are not given. And so if you're going to call every single contact in the box, you, you we are going to be seeing multiple, like multiple but, penalties but, every but game, essentially. The, the tackle on Nonto in that game should have been a penalty. Mm, but I'm saying that they're not always given. They're actually not like 10 on 10 given. Like no, these things I, I are sporadically given. The point that um, I'm making And that's why is, we talk about them. The point that I'm making is that because it should be a penalty is that all of these things, are, whether they're, when I say 10 out of 10 penalty, I'm not saying mm. 10 out of 10 are given by the official because obviously we talk every week about every official sees it differently. When we do yeah. have competitions that have half VAR and, and some without, that things become subjective. But 10 out of 10 times, this should be a penalty, whether it's given or not. Okay. I th- I think if I bring it back to the United and the Bruno incident, they won 2-0, by the way. We haven't talked about the game because I don't think anyone gives a shit. But um, <laughs> I think what does it for me is, like, I want to I do, I do, want to see a world where both things can be true, where it can be a penalty, but a player can also be punished for doing... Like, the Bruno, for me, it's not the, so much that he goes down. It's the prolonged holding the foot, in at, pretending you're in agony, you know, it, embellishing. And I think I mentioned it last week in the NHL. They have it in the hockey where um, if someone is holding, I can't remember if I mentioned it on the pod or not, but if someone is holding, there was an incident last week in a Boston game where a player held another guy's shirt. And so he was given uh, two minutes in the penalty box because you're not allowed to hold. But the player who was being held threw himself to the floor and threw his hands in the air. So he copped two minutes as well because he's embellished it. And I... (laughs) It's maybe not so That's applicable cool. to the Bruno incident, but uh, Nick, you you mentioned earlier, also mm. said this morning about, you know, I'm sure football fans would love to see a world where players who dive um, are punished post-game. Like, we can look at it post-game and say, okay, you're getting three games for this. Um, maybe, maybe the simulation didn't work. Maybe you didn't get caught or maybe you didn't earn the penalty. 
but you still tried to trick a referee. You can still have the three games. I know we're away from whether there was contact and stuff now, but I'm talking about blatant simulation and dives. Um, mm. Just, I think it would take a lot of this out of the game and make players keep their feet a lot more. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, ultimately, I agree that it is a penalty. Like, it, I don't think, I don't think you and I are sitting here saying that, it, that it's not a penalty. Um, yeah. It's just painful to watch the guy sit on the floor like that, holding his foot like it's been snapped. Yeah. And looking at the referee, like I said, puppy dog face, having a whinge. God, he makes me sick, Bruno. Um, let's talk about some other football. Sunderland, Neil, Newcastle 3. This was your game of the week, Tommy. Uh, time mm. weird derby, much anticipated, a lot of build-up, some strange things happening in Sunderland with that one. Um, what did you make of the footy? Uh, it didn't live up to the... I guess the, the the ferocious hype that I was hoping yeah. like I was hoping for because it's it's cool when you get old rivals meet you know for the first time in a while and this is like one of the bigger ones as well in yeah England, so it, you know there Sunderland was, there just was, simply couldn't match them could they yeah I suppose yeah I didn't even think I didn't really think Newcastle were that good I mean they didn't they found like a gear above Sunderland and then just kind of cruised through that throughout the game and they never really looked at that threatened and I they didn't think... have to break stride yeah. that much. Sunderland never to... laid a finger on them. I think yeah, Newcastle, but... we're talking about a team at full strength that are probably in the top six in the Premier League. And I think Sunderland are quite fortunate to be in the top six in the championship from what I've seen of them. So yeah. I think there's just like, you know, a minimum of a 20-team gap in the football pyramid between these two. Yeah, mm. I, I think you're, just, you're still going into it hoping that maybe in the rivalry there's a they can make a bit more of a fist of it, a bit more of a game. I think the way that some... Um, Particularly the way Newcastle scored their first goal and the, even the others, they're just, it wasn't, I was expecting maybe more of a grind where Sunderland yes. are really dig it. And we don't like to see teams park the bus, but this is the exact situation where a team should probably is when you're allowed to parking it in, making it tough for Newcastle, keeping them in the game, getting the crowd yeah. behind them, defending the goals. Um, but they were, they were pretty well cut open. They were, there were big gaps in their midfield and defense for the first goal, which was only, was it 20 or 30 minutes in? Um, and yeah, then after that, minutes. after that, they're chasing the game. They just they couldn't lay a finger on a Newcastle side that, like you said, never really got out of first gear. Yeah. Well, that's the unfortunate thing is, you know, the way they start the second half and um, the defender makes the mistake and just turns the ball over. Um, <laughs> like pretty much, what, 40 yeah. seconds on the edge of his box. Um, and a team like Newcastle, they're obviously going to, punish you in those situations and yeah they just they just had the quality in the right moments and and it showed they did yeah i i think two guys that were it was nice to see a couple of guys that were really up for this rivalry um try hume and from sunderland and then anthony gordon who was attacking him had a really nice nice battle in this game where there was a few fouls either way sort of having a few kicks at each other and then there was that moment where hume grabbed onto anthony gordon's shirt and pulled him to the ground to stop him from going on a run up the wing and and i actually he's got a lot of hate for it but usually we'd see players you know like we've just spoken about have a little bit of a roll around in this scenario stay on the ground for a few seconds but gordon popped straight back up pulled on his shirt and said you can have my shirt after the game don't worry mate and and I was a big fan of that. I like he's got a lot of hate, a lot of slack for it, but I, but I kind of like it from the guy. Yeah, good stuff. Well, um, Bants. I mean, did, you saw how the penalty was given. How um, uh, Ballard just comes over and decks Gordon. Yeah, no it's complaints. Such a, it's such a great challenge to give away a pen. He had a bit of a mare, old Ballard. He gave away the own goal <laughs> too, and then gives away the pen. It's yeah, not a good night for him. Um, Ishak at the double. I will. I don't want to say at the double. Ooh, we'll get rid of that. Fucking edit that shit out. I thought I'd give it a try, but it's the worst it phrase in forced. football. The second worst phrase in football behind two goalkeepers wouldn't have saved that one. They probably would. Uh, Cooper, your game of the week was Arsenal and Liverpool. Uh, 2-0 win at the Emirates. A uh, bit of an ugly sight, this one. Neither team wearing their home kit. Yeah, a little bit hard to look at, um, obviously, though, for a good cause. So we're not going to yep. sit here and rag on them for that. But ugly game of football. for I'll rag on their shirt too. being shit, though. Um. Both teams played played pretty relatively almost full strength lineups. Arsenal mm. missing obviously Jesus and Martinelli, and then obviously with Afcon no Salah, no Endo with with the Asian Cup and, and Virgil Van Dijk missing through illness. Um, which Jurgen Klopp said it, it's hard for Virgil Van Dijk to look like shit, but he did this morning, so he sent him home. Um, yep. and uh, the whole game then That's after hot. it continued to look like shit. So Virgil might have fit in really well. Wasn't entertaining. Was 
Arsenal all over Liverpool for a period of time and just didn't have the quality, I just thought. We it's just very different to the clash a couple of weeks ago at Anfield. Yeah, Havertz, Havertz didn't thrive in the nine as we've we've seen previously no. in the Premier League. It's it's not where he plays his best football and Reese Nelson is probably a victim of that, that lack of Arteta trust that we've spoken about in recent times that, you know, he's thrown him in to start this game, but he's a guy that's played about 25 minutes in his last 10 weeks of football, so you can't expect him to be sharp. You're not crazy about him, are you, Sammy? Reese Nelson? Uh, nah, probably not really. Maybe if he'd been given a bit more game time here and there to, you know, to maybe, like Cooper said, have some sharpness about him, we could see something. But he at the moment, at the moment, no, he hasn't. He hasn't really come on. And what is he now? I think he's like, is he like 23, 24 is, now? Reese Nelson? Yeah. Like he's not the kid anymore. Like I was thinking, is I'm just quickly googling. Uh, mm. Reese Nelson, yeah, he's 24 now. So it's like if it's not happening now and it hasn't happened yet, then we're starting to, we're starting to run out of time. My my biggest query on this game, um, I'll ask you, Sam, and it might be a little bit of an overthought, but Jesus missing again with that, that niggling knee injury that keeps coming and going and coming and going. Mm. And Arteta said that it was more of a precautionary situation, but then continued to start Havertz up front and, and give Eddie and Kettery a rest. So I just wonder if potentially there's a little bit more to it. And that was the reason that Enkedia didn't start this game. And we might be seeing Eddie up front for Arsenal this weekend in the Premier League. Um, I think you will see Enkedia up front in the Premier League this week. I think it's just a case of he's Arteta's probably looking for a different answer there with Jesus out. And because Enkedia just does not work. He does not work, but he unfortunately so he's probably put Havertz there hoping that it might work. Maybe he could find something and and, it, yeah. and something does happen. You know, it's a bit of a gamble. But if you're going to make that sort of gamble for Arsenal in the position they're in, they've still got Champions League knockout football. They're still, I know they've dropped to fourth now or whatever in the Premier League and they've slipped away a bit. But you'd still rather take the gamble in this FA Cup game, I think, than a Premier League game right now. Would you, obviously not available for this one, but would you consider going back to Gabriel Martinelli in the nine, given that he's not necessarily been in the best of form on the wing, and then give Kai Havertz a crack out wide, considering what he's done there in the past, back in when he was back in Germany with Leverkusen? I've never understood so much why Martinelli hasn't had more of a chance as a nine. He came into that when he first originally came into the team, he was uh, the minutes he was getting off the bench, he was coming on up front as a central striker and he was scoring goals and he was scoring goals with his head and everything. Like he was, he looked really good. And then once we saw him move out to the wing, obviously he's got some weapons out there, but it's not worked for him this season. Um, I don't really understand why he hasn't got another crack. There's got to be, I'd be willing to gamble on that this weekend and playing Trossard wide or Havertz wide rather than Enkedia. You can't have another week of Enkedia. It just just can't happen. <laughs> You're so done with this guy. He's just he's just no good for a team like this. It just cannot work. Like he probably score goals in a in a side that plays a, a style of football where he's gonna have maybe some space to run in or some um mm. some time to kind of make darting diagonal runs. But in an Arsenal team that have mostly got the ball against sides who see us as not too much of a threat and they can just sit back and defend like West Ham did or like Fulham did for big patches, um, it just just leaves Arsenal under pressure with with no one to give the ball to that can hold it up and link up play. And that just means they're conceding more, conceding more chances at the other end. It's pretty wild how long he's managed to sustain a career really with Arsenal because he hasn't presented much with under any manager. It is. And I I think like one of the biggest frustrations from it would be like they've kept him now. And what is he? 20 Howard's in Kedia now. He's similar age, 24, 23 now. Like he's still not not that young. Uh, but letting Balogun go. Mm, when they had true. they had Balogun was a little bit younger than Kedia, I think. And he is now just like lighting up. He's like a key player. Um for Monaco. Uh, he had a great year with Reims last year in France, scored 21 goals in 37 games in the league last season. Um, this, year, this year, not as good with four from 14 with Monaco, mm. but like, you know. I'll, yeah, I think I, I think if I'm Arsenal, I'm all over Ivan Tony in the transfer window when he comes off the back of this suspension. Oh, absolutely. Let's make it happen. Oh, that, when's when's he ready, Cooper? Sorry? When's he off suspension? Um, I believe it's a full season, so it'll be he'll be available oh, summer next shit. year. Don't quote me on that because I'm well, be wrong. But you got you got five more months of Eddie, mate. We'll keep pushing on. Um, 
Peterborough nil leads three. I think we're only mentioning this for uh, the Bamford goal. And as much as I don't want to talk up Bamford right now, I've, I've been a fan of him in the past, but I think I'm pretty well off him at the moment. But this was a, a top shelf goal. Goal of yeah. the weekend. Goal of the weekend, legitimately. This could be the first time that there's been an actual reason for Leeds to be mentioned on this pod. And mm. I'm all for it. What a goal. Just the aimless long ball from the back. Well, it was aimed at it up. him. It was aimed at him, but he's always <laughs> up there by himself, surrounded by two centre-backs. And so he's managed to find a little bit of space in the in the dead zone, drags it down off his chest, swivels, hits, back across the keeper, gorgeous. In the in the form he's been in, he had absolutely no fucking right to even try this. <laughs> absolutely none. Um, That's why he's the enigma man because he just—it doesn't matter. He that, take, he has he won't score for twenty games and he'll go up and take a penalty. Reverse and angle from behind Bamford is something else. The way the ball moves in the air, the the strike is as good as I've seen in the last twelve months. This is for for me. This is a better goal than the Garnacho goal. If we're talking. Oh, I love you. Of the year area. It's also the way he, the way he jumps goal. jumps through the air to chest it as well, and then hits it kind of like it like lands, ball comes down, bang, like no bounce. Fucking brilliant stuff. Um, the trouble for you now, Tommy, is that Bamford's probably going to try and do this about ten times next game. Like he's just <laughs> going to keep trying it for another two months, and do the fans are getting sick of him. No, you don't. You don't <laughs> just let him. I reckon uh, you I, give him one more at least. My my one uh, stat for Leeds, Tom's going to love this, is they've finally, finally your little drawn, lead stats. drawn a home FA Cup tie in the fourth round. They'll play at home against Plymouth after 14 straight, I believe. 14 straight? Yeah. No, sorry. Um, 13 straight away FA Cup ties. Um, and they tweeted before this that the probability of being drawn away in the FA Cup 14 times in a row is one in 16,384. <laughs> Huge. Yeah, well, it didn't happen, did it? So the, someone was making the comparison. Apparently, it's more likely to be uh, electrocuted um, by like lightning in America than it is to be drawn away that many times. So it is what it is, I guess. Thanks for that absolutely riveting stat. Uh, speaking of fantastic goals, Pedro Porro scored a great one, and it was the decider between Tottenham and Burnley. Probably was going to be the goal of the round until until Bamford did that. But uh, nice goal, and through to the next round. We're happy for Ange, aren't we? And we don't really like Burnley. Always. It was a banger. And if a banger's going to decide a game, bang, do it. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, good for Angie. Dream he dreams of lifting trophies. Um, so it'd be nice if he could get his first trophy in his entire career in the FA Cup. He's a who? fraud, isn't he? How did he even get the jobs? Yeah. Uh, who would, who would know? Crazy. He just came from nowhere. This guy from Australia, and all of a sudden, yeah, it's it's poor recruitment by Spurs. I think they haven't done their homework. They didn't check him out enough. Um, just getting some some yobbo from South Melbourne, idiots. Just a Kentucky tour gone wrong, I think, for him. <laughs> he's overstaying his I've visa got, and he's just like, what can I do? I've got three games here lumped together now that were all uh, we put under the banner of Premier League teams that didn't win against other division teams. And we've got West Ham 1, Bristol 1, Nottingham 2, Blackpool 2, Luton 0, Bolton 0. Um, I don't know about you, Cooper. I don't know. I think you had a little bit of an eye on the Nottingham game. I was watching Luton and West Ham on two different screens. Uh, maybe we'll start start with Nottingham if you saw any of that one. Yeah, um, two nil down, two goals in three minutes for for Blackpool, and then they clawed their way back in. Dominguez with a little bit of lucky goal, and then a, a an absolute screamer from Morgan Gibbs White. There was some proper goals in this. If there was anything to take away from the third round of the cup, it was there was some really good goals. Um, what? I just wonder, part of my brain thought that if if I was about to go into halftime of an FA Cup tie 2-0 down to a team from two divisions below me, that I'd probably just take my my good players off, protect them and and, and cop the loss because they're not going to win this tournament. They're in they're probably part of a relegation scrap at some point later in the season. And now they have a replay. They, they have to go to Blackpool for absolutely no reason. And I know you're not trying to lose these games, but this is an awful result for Nottingham Forest in the sense of they didn't need an extra game on their calendar. Perhaps. I don't think it hurts them as much um, given they don't have like any other football. Like They're playing the league. That's it. 
Um, same with Luton, but they've only got the lead to worry about. One one extra FA Cup game for a chance to go on a run. And um, I guess for Luton as well, I think especially still the opportunity to draw a big club at home is probably, even though they're in the Premier League now, it's probably still a bit of a draw card for them. Mm. Um, Forest, I don't know. For, Forest, a bit of up and down form. We talked about them being absolutely horrible and then they put that really good run together. So I don't think they'll be hurt too much. I think maybe the one that hurts the most maybe is West Ham. Um, they've still got. Do they still have European football? They finished top of their group in the Conference League or whatever the hell they play. Europa, even Europa. I think they're the proper yeah, one. Yeah, the proper, the proper the one. Proper, the UEFA Cup, the Intertoto Cup, the um, Intertoto Cup. Yeah. West Ham won, Bristol won. This is the perfect example. I feel so vindicated in my salt the other week losing to West Ham <laughs> in that this shit will come undone when you play this crap brand of football <laughs> because they've gone at home to Bristol. They've gone. They've gone up in like the opening five minutes, thanks to Jared Bowen. Puts them 1-0 up, who, by the way, if they don't have Jared Bowen, they're fighting relegation. Puts them 1-0 up. Is that important for them? They then proceed to not know how to play football, and so therefore, uh, whether they play against a good team or a shit team, they don't know what to do. So they let the other team have it, and Bristol were all over them and just kept coming at them and coming at them and eventually got a goal that they well-deserved. They nearly stole a winner that it was off. It was offside by by quite a while, but they had plenty of other great chances late as well. And West Ham were clinging on for dear life. And at the end of the game, the there were boos. There were big boos around that stadium. Oh, not happy. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Socek and Edson Alvarez started as the two sitting holding midfielders in this in this game for West Ham. And for the first time this season, they both passed at an under 75% completion rate. So every one in four passes, these midfielders that were passing 10 yards sideways were turning the ball over. And it was a real, what the fuck are we supposed that to is do piss. with this thing? We, we, <laughs> this, is, this is two holding midfielders that haven't been asked to control a football the entire season, to keep possession, to have the ball. They haven't been asked to play like this once. And this was two guys that didn't know what the fuck to do with it every time they got it. It really, really belies the Moyes effect at West Ham, doesn't it? I like it. Cooper, what do you think? They played your boy Paqueta up top. Good idea. What does Danny Ings have to do to get a fucking run? I can't understand. We came off pretty early. Probably, yeah, yeah, probably probably score the goal that he potentially should have at the end of this game. Had a decent chance to win it for for West Ham. Um, yeah, I just I wonder as well. Do you, from a West Ham perspective at home, does Lucas Pakatai is probably your most outside of Jared Bowen your most important player, especially with Mohamed Kudus gone for the next month? Does he really need to start an FA Cup game? Is is it that big? Uh, and I know the magic of the cup, and we love the cup, and you want to win. And like said, Sam said, you want to go on a, on a run. Is the the chance of going on some form of run and getting to a semi final or final in the FA Cup worth losing your most important player? Or maybe, maybe actually, it depends. They shouldn't need to have him in this game against Bristol, but because they play such a dour brand of football. And they have no fucking idea how to play a pass to one another, nor advance the ball properly. Yet yeah, I can see why they played him because <laughs> that's probably why he started up front because they thought, Jesus, we need someone to actually receive the ball and be able to do something with it. But but to um, play this it's guy, a shame up, he came off early. To play this guy as a nine when you have two strikers on the bench, he didn't need to be out there. It, it didn't speak to be out there. It's ridiculous. It, 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 Ridiculous. It just feels like they've forced him onto the pitch. They wanted to play Ward Prowse and they wanted to keep Bowen Bowen wide in this formation that they've been playing to play the system they've been playing. There was no need for for Pakatar to be up front in this game. Just none at all. The last yeah. game of the last game I've got listed here, unless you wanted to talk about Luton, Bolton Neil, it was pretty ordinary. Luton were all over him, but not really dangerous enough. Um Brentford won, Wolves won, I've got written here because my note just says Brentford wankers. Um, Wolves got an early red card, ninth minute, and then uh, proceeded to almost get a result. They came back from 1-0 down, got an equaliser. <laughs> they pushed on to try and find a winner. Um, in the end, having to do a lot of defending, obviously, a man down for 80 minutes. But um, there was obviously something going on because the, the the Wolves keepers at Saar in the Wolves goal. Um mm-hmm. 
We had that incident the other week with Villa where someone was obviously pretty abusive to Ollie Watkins and the club and the league looked to investigate what it was because he was pretty, he was obviously pretty wound up by it and let them know. You know they are because these players cop a lot out in the field. So I feel like when you see a player make actual connection to the crowd over something, then they've said some heinous shit. Yeah, and it was the same the end at Brentford. There was a, there must have been a lot of heinous shit saying happening because every time I saw the keeper pick up the ball, he was like turning around and like looking at the crowd with shock on his face at like what are these guys doing? Or like he'd go to take a goal kick and they would just be like out of control. So then after the game, when they'd held on for a one-all draw, he turned around and gave them the ears. You know, I think he's with his within his rights too. They didn't win the game, oh, yeah, but they held on with 10 men for 80 minutes against his fucking Brentford side. So he's let them know. And then obviously the Brentford players are irrationally angry about it and they all sook. They got Neil Mope on their team having a cry like, come on, man. Come on, Brentford. Pull your heads in. Get, get your act together, Brentford. A couple of years in the top league and you think you're fucking all that? Come on. Oh, and then they called the No, Bar- no Barclays heritage, idiots. Then obviously Tom talking earlier about how um... – Thomas Frank, the the Brentford manager, went into his post game press conference and complained about the fact that they had to replay this game and yeah. they didn't need it on their calendar. You just blew a one nil lead after playing against ten men for eighty five minutes. Just yeah. fucking win. Just win the game of football, Frank. Won't matter, idiot. All right. I don't know if you guys have any other FA Cup. There were some others. Oh, Chelsea won easy. West Brom won easy. Blah blah blah. There was all sorts going on. Heaps, heaps. Heaps yeah, of games. Too many. Um, <laughs> I think shout out to our friend Todd from another podcast. He's about nothing. He had a multi where I think he lost it because Stevenage, uh, League Two, I think, lost to Maidstone United, who are oh. non-league. So that's a bit of a killer. Multi-killers. We haven't done multi-killers for a while, but there's one for you. Um, backing League Two sides against non-league in a cup, just it feels like a no from me. Maybe just leave it out, hey? Maybe together. Maybe just leave it out. Just leave it out. <laughs> Um, all right. Should we do the Asian Cup? Are we pumped for this or what? Or are we not pumped for this? Well, you guys that the whole great. point. Well, I am because it's Craig. Craig Goodwin. This is his time. This is his time to shine. I think what we might do, we'll go through the we'll go through the groups here quickly. Um, I've got them here. Group A, Qatar, China, Tajikistan, Lebanon. Qatar, the host nation, I don't. I, I think they're pretty well back to get through out of this group. They're the defending Asian Cup champions. Qatar, did yes. they win the last one? I believe they did. I want to I say yes. We haven't done right. our research. Someone can look this up while I use the fact that it's crazy they're hosting another tournament. Like who? It is. Who the hell gets to do back-to-back tournaments, world yeah. and then continental? This is crazy. They're fucking nuts. Yeah, it's yeah, bullshit. Qatar won the last. Yeah. See, um, we stopped paying attention after we got knocked out in the quarterfinals. Yeah. I, I'm just going to skip straight through this group. I honestly do not care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Qatar, China, Tajikistan, Lebanon. Like, it's, you'd think it'll be Qatar and China, but whatever happens, happens. We just want to skip on right through to Group B because, of course, that is Australia's group. I want to ask you initially before we talk about the Australia squad, we've got Uzbekistan, Syria, and India is there any danger we don't get out of this, or is it, or is it a cruise? We should, should get out of this. Yeah, should be a cruise. Um, obviously, Australia have their way of doing things the in the difficult fashion if they can find a way to do it. But I think this group's almost too simple to a point that that they should get out of it. Obviously, Syria have given given the Socceroos a few issues in the past. Almost missed a World Cup because of Syria. Um, yeah, but, but you'd think that that they'd be good enough, especially the way the way they've been. I say the way they've been playing, the results they've been achieving, and, and yeah, absolutely, they should be getting through this group. I just, yeah, uh, I, think, I wouldn't. Oh, you go. Sorry, I was just gonna say I wouldn't want to sleep on Uzbekistan though. Mm-hmm. Like I think you'd still want to be pretty well at the top of your game. Uh, if you, it's one of those ones where I think if you had a really off game and they were they were on, you know, that could cause a slip up. Um, Uzbekistan been doing bits at like junior levels in the AFC and stuff. So they're one to watch out for. Maybe not yet though. Maybe maybe down the track next Asian Cup or one after. Tommy? I agree. Yeah, Uzbekistan will definitely be the hardest opposition in this. I think we're kind of fortunate in a way we get to play oh, the third game. No, I think Uzbekistan will be the hardest one. Okay. Um, just, I mean, they are without their star striker. Don't ask me what his name is. It's like Shmolarov or something. So we come into this a little bit, you know, a little bit more well off in that sense. 
Syria, yeah, I get what you're saying. They've naturalized a few more players um, since their last tournament. It's just, it's always a matter um, for us is like more than anything, you rely on the talented individuals that we have to like navigate your way through games against Syria and Uzbekistan. And we should be able to do it. Cool. Yeah, I um, love that. Um, you were wildly closer than you should have been. Um, Elder Shomorudov is the Uzbekistan footballer you were talking about. He's their captain and he's going to miss the tournament through injury. Fucking get in there. See, I did my research. No, you didn't. Um, <laughs> let's talk about this Australia squad because I guess that's the main reason we're all here. Um, where are we at with this this squad? Are we, we, we talked about it the other week maybe. I don't know if we've actually talked about the squad announcement since... We were big advocates of Bruno Fornaroli going. We didn't think it would be at the expense of uh, Jamie McLaren, but I guess we all got our way because you wanted Yengi, Tom. We wanted um, we wanted Bruno, and we got them both. Christmas, man. Christmas came a couple of days early or a couple of days late whenever they announced it. I like it. I think that's a that's a smart move for us. Um, I've said all along, Bruno or J-Mac, please. And so I'm totally fine with the fact they've taken Bruno, who was in better form. Um, I guess the only thing you're discounting is Jamie McLaren does have international experience in a sense, and he's been part of the setup more often. And whether or not that counts for more in like a tournament setup, maybe. But I think it's cool to see Bruno. Like maybe he can come off the bench and jag a banger for us in a name in a time that we need it. Yeah, lovely, Cooper. It's a bit of a squad that's got some um, some tough luck stories missing out, and then some some lucky ones getting in. Yeah, um, I think Alex Robertson is the guy that can feel the stiffest of missing out on this squad. Um, I think the reasons that were given would be understandable if Patrick Yazbek wasn't in this squad. I'm not convinced that that Patrick Yazbek has particularly done anything other than exist in a Sydney FC squad coached by Graham Arnold to get himself in this squad over a guy who has been considered one of the the upper echelon players in the in the championship this season and that the supporters of sorry league one or two whatever the fuck league one yeah the supporters of portsmouth were were actually so in the the post about cassini yengi congratulating him on being selected in this squad all the comments were just oh my god no robertson get in no robertson we're not losing robertson for four (laughs) games and somehow we haven't taken a guy like this and we've pulled patty yazbek from wherever we have do you buy into do you buy into the reason that he hasn't done it is because Arnold has no idea how to use technically brilliant players like him? It could be uh, an answer. It could, it could be an answer. I'm not convinced that Arnie's sitting there thinking that he's not technically gifted <laughs> enough as a manager, so he's not going to pick a good player. <laughs> it's a good goal. Um, <laughs> but I just, I know the the bullshit excuse he gave about the these young guys. We want to let them play for the for the younger national squads and we want to, they're not going to get much time. So we're going to let them stay with their clubs and develop. But I, I just think if you're good enough, you're old enough. And I think Alex Robertson's good enough to have played a role in this squad. Definitely. There's a, with Redmayne not being there though, there is that obviously that cap space in the squad for jobs for the boys, which means <laughs> Arnie is allowed to take some sort of Sydney product <laughs> for absolutely no reason with no justification. So good on him for still using well, it. Look, I'd rather Yazbek than Ryan Grant at this point. So, yeah. Well, um, another another random name in this squad, uh, John Idale, that was an interesting selection. Yeah, um, he's in the the Bundesliga two at the moment. He's scored eight goals in forty four appearances in the Bundesliga two. Um, he's only twenty four years old, but fun fact, he was given his first senior contract in football at seventeen by Graham Arnold at Sydney FC. Although no he never played a game, way. that's where he's come from. <laughs> what are the odds? There's oh, the cap dude. space for the jobs for the boys. Um, let's use all the Sydney spots up. Um, what did I have here? What have we got here? What have we got here? Uh, I've lost my place. I've lost my place. I've lost my place. Should we just talk about Craig Goodwin? Yeah, why not? Let's talk about Craig Goodwin. He's going to start these games, isn't he? He started yeah, in the friendly cool. against Bahrain, had an impact uh, kind of creating, you could say, the own goal, um, provide an assist for Duke, which I thought was – it's one of those ones that looks pretty simple, but I think it's a pretty classy – the knockbacked header where they can easily go wrong. Players just hit it too hard, and he's weighted it nicely. Duke gets back across. Um, yeah, he's going to have a real impact here, and uh, this this prob- maybe his last international tournament. Is Craig Goodwin the most important player in this squad right now? Uh, yep, hundred percent. He he's is like to. the main outlet think, at the moment. 
I think there's a chance. I think at the World Cup, I I thought that the the Harry Sutar and the obviously now Cameron Burgess that our our defense solidifying and Sutar playing good football and and being great for this Socceroos team was was massive. But in a tournament where for probably right, I mean right up until the quarterfinal stage, bearing the luck of a bad draw or finishing second in our in, in the group, it should be we should be convinced that we're strong enough to be more offensive than defensive in these fixtures. And, and while we're on top of teams, I think Craig is so important to this team. That's always been the biggest drawback of Graham Arnold is that, especially in this team, we've never established an identity like in possession. And I know that sounds wanky, but in a way that you know what we're going to do when we have to dominate teams. And like, I still don't think we have that, which is, Brings you back to your point is that Craig Goodwin in situations from deep or if you can get in behind or even just, you know, the the inside passes that he can play uh, to bring in the midfielders and then try and get Duke moving around. Um, it's so understated in a sense in that we don't admit that, yeah, he probably is the most important guy out there. Yeah, well, I just, this team is a team that doesn't like to, especially under Graham Ardle, they don't like to be in situations where they're asked to, to have the ball, to carry the ball and to dominate teams. And we saw in the friendly against Bahrain a 2-0 win, 74-odd uh, percent of possession during this game, but not really ever created any opportunities that you can look back on and go outside of the two goals we should have scored in in these moments yeah. and it was a craig delivery to what was going to be a dangerous area that turned an own goal and then the the assist that he got for the the mitch duke goal it'll be washed over a little bit because people will say oh he's done the simple thing the header back across but it's such a perfectly weighted header it's it's so good to to come onto that on an awkward angle and, and have the mind to get it back across the goal it just shows how far he's come as a footballer in the last probably 24 months Lovely. I want to talk Marco Tilio. What's he doing mm. in this squad? Sure. Good call. I mean, over there's a lot of wingers that He's not play played in Australia. No. What is with that? Has he been injured or is he just he's not just not good enough? I don't think he's not good enough. I simply just don't think he's good enough. Celtic have a a good bunch of wingers there too, and they've spent on some of them as well. Um, mm. Another one that they do have is Dazen Maeda, who is part of the the Japan squad. Oh, Tilio's not awesome. going in ahead of him. Leo Labada is the other one. He plays for Israel. Like Tilio's not getting in ahead of him. Um, but he somehow finds his way into this squad. And I don't mind Marco Tilio as a player. Is he up to is he up to Asian Cup level? Um, is he even going to play a role in this? I dare say he wouldn't, but it just begs the question why he would even be there. What impact could he possibly have? Mm. I don't Tilio. think he's going to play, is he? Tilio was the one that a lot of people questioned on social media with Arnold saying that the reason he left the younger guys at home was because he thought it was important to their careers that they played football because they they probably wouldn't get the minutes at this yeah. tournament, although being in the squad. But with the, like you've just said, with uh, Maeda being the Japan squad and Abada playing for Israel, this was probably Marco Tilio's chance to actually get some football at Celtic, but instead we've taken him to an international tournament that he probably mm. won't play in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it brings that whole argument undone. They got a little bit of a break in Scotland as well for a couple of weeks, so he might not have even played anyway. Um, the other one I want to talk here is the left-back position. Who is going to be starting left-back? It's got to be Geordie Bosch, doesn't it? It's it can't be, be 33-year-old Aziz Bayic, who I think has been... I think he has been a serviceable left-back for Australia over the years, Aziz Bayic, uh, but he's dropped off a bit, and his form for City this season, I think, has been pretty ordinary. He's been dour for City, definitely. And just getting involved in really petty... Um, one-on-one altercations with his opposing man uh, when he's not being pocketed by children. Like, he's just, he's established all of the poor traits that you see, like returning Socceroos to the A-League exhibit. And it's just, it depresses you because, you know, in the World Cup, he was millimetres away from scoring one of the all-time great equalisers against Argentina. Yeah. And the drop-off is like, it's kind of sad in a way. I've never felt much for him playing, but it's just, yeah, it's kind of sad to see where he's ended up. Yeah, I think the move back to 
the A-League can be such a window of, of hope and opportunity for a lot of Australian players to find some form and get sure. back in a Socceroos squad. And this yep. has almost had the reverse effect on Aziz Bayic. He's come back from, there might have been this assumption that because he had played overseas for such a long-standing period of time, that he was potentially a, a better footballer than he actually was. And and I agree, he's been, he's been serviceable and he's had good moments for the Socceroos. And I don't think there's, up until now, been any point where I thought that there was someone that should have been playing ahead of him at left-back for the for the national team um but now coming back to the a-league and playing against guys that aren't considered to be good enough for this squad and being beaten by them on a weekly basis is (laughs) for for me it's undone him a little bit and i think this might be it'll be his last international tournament and and i'm not convinced we're going to see much of him unless you know we're through after two group games and and we rotate for that third one but geordie boss is the future and, and he's been really good in the friendlies and it's going to be a little bit of a new look back for because we're assuming that, that Geordie Boss starts on one side. Um, Cameron Burgess looks like the guy that's going to play next to Harry Sutar at centre-back and then um, Gethin Jones on the right-hand side. Um, I remember when this squad came out and we discussed that we were going to talk about it in my notes. I wrote, don't mind the squad, who the fuck is Gethin Jones? And we've obviously discovered a little bit that he plays in England <laughs> and that he's not the not the worst footballer in the world, but he's another one of those Martin Boyles that Arnie's pulled out of nowhere to play for Australia, and, and here we are. Certainly. Yeah, we're just like Syria um, in that sense, naturalising anything we can get our hands on. We will keep it moving. Uh, the Asian Cup gets underway this weekend. We've got uh, we've, Australia play India at 10pm Central Time in Australia, in Adelaide, in God's country, over really? in dirty Melbourne. it probably kick off at 10.30, I'd say, then, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, they can't see it through the smog. Can't see it through the smog. Um Group C has Iran, the UAE, Hong Kong, and Palestine. I think Iran, what are they, third or fourth favourites for this competition? Yeah. Um, but just a couple of notable names here. Their captain, Asan Hasafi, plays for AEK Athens. Um, but their strikers, they've got Mehdi Taremi is a name some people might know. He's currently at Porto. But he's got 41 goals in 74 caps for Iran, so he's pretty deadly in front of the net. Um, and the other one is Karim Ansarafad. Who is at Ammonia in Cyprus at the moment, but he's he's got a pretty good goal record in his professional career as well. So uh, a little bit of danger from Iran. They're always pretty competitive, very physical and quick. Um, yeah, that that that'll be a contest. Not the knockouts. Hell yeah, it will. Um, they're a great side, and you can see the experience in this side by the amount of caps and you know the age of the players they're taking. Like this could be a primed year for Iran. They've got a nice mix of up-and-coming kids coming through and then they've yep. just got the experienced cohort. you got to watch out for them. They've got to be last four hopefuls, without a doubt. Anything short of that, they'd be real disappointed. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll go to Group D straight away. Uh, Japan, Indonesia, Iraq, Vietnam. I think Japan, for me, I don't know about you guys, are the team that I don't see any way they don't win this tournament. They'd have to have a shocker to not do it. But um, just going through the list of players, a lot of Premier League experience, Bundesliga experience, uh, Liga experience, uh, a lot of players in Belgium. That this this is some team they've got here to pick from, and they've got a few selection headaches. Yeah, agree. Um, I think one that's gone a little bit unmentioned. I actually um having a look just just now have him down as probably a potential candidate for player of the tournament is uh Takafusa Kubo that plays for Real Sociedad in yeah. Spain um yep. and he actually collected himself for the league player of the month earlier in the season and has nine goal contributions in 18 games only 22 years old great player yeah um other big names on the list, Watoru Endo is a current captain, obviously uh, playing pretty well with Liverpool, as we've mentioned the last few weeks on the pod. Takumi Minamino, Karo Matoma, uh, also Premier League experience. Minamino, not as much. Um, uh, what have we also got here? Rea Hatate. I don't know if he'll start, but uh, has been excellent for Celtic when he has played. Fallen out of favour a little bit with Brendan Rodgers. I'm not sure why, because he's an absolute star. Takuma Asano, who's at Bochum in the Bundesliga, he was on Arsenal's books for a little while, a few years back. He's now 29, but still going strong. Um, Daza Maeda, who we mentioned from Celtic, they're just, they've got a lot in all areas of the park. And, you know, what we often see from Japan at these tournaments is a very rigid backline that is super hard to break down um, with deadly pace on the counter. Yep. And they're going to line up like that again, aren't they? They have the the star quality. Um, to go all the way and win this for sure. I think what 
you know, what their biggest folly is going to be coming against a side that is as rigid as they are and they can outstay them defensively in a sense, be able to shut down their attacking players and hit them on the break or, you know, perhaps even beat them at their own game. I think there's one, I think South Korea could really take it to them. And I'd love if, I haven't looked too deeply into the draw, but if there's a way that Japan can play South Korea in the final, that would be uh, my my ideal situation. I really like looking through this Japanese side um, and you see, you know, best clubs in the world being represented, uh, Liverpool, um, you know, Celtic, if you want to go that, that route, Arsenal. There's also one player here, Yuta Nakayama, plays for one Huddersfield town. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that funny? What are you laughing? I'm not sure what you're laughing at here. I just think it's a fantastic team when you're saying it's going to go the whole way and win it, and he's going to go in there and rub shoulders. And he comes, he plays for Huddersfield Town, yeah. not even on loan. He plays there permanently. Oh, Nottingham Forest have a World Cup winner in their team. You know, they have Montiel right back. There's a difference between Forest and Huddersfield Town. Come on, it happens. Um. The only other player I want to mention there from Japan, Junya Ito, who is currently at Reims. He's got 13 goals and 51 caps for, for Japan. Plays centre midfield, but he's a he's one of those, like, just a, a box-to-box, gets up and back, scores lots of goals from midfield. Um, another another one to watch out. I, I assume he will start for Japan, I would say. Uh, he's been pretty constant in their team since 2018-ish. So uh, keep an eye on that one. Um, Japan going through easily all the way or not? Yeah, I think South Korea are probably the only team with the quality to undo them and they would still need some luck, I think. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Let's get to them. Let's go to Group E because that is South Korea, Malaysia, Jordan and Bahrain. Uh, Take your pick for who's going to come in second in there, but it's probably not Malaysia. It would be out of Jordan and Bahrain. South Korea, you'd, you'd assume, flying through. Tommy, do you like? Are you okay with these clubs? A list like Bayern Munich, Red Star Belgrade, Tottenham, mm. Michelin, Wolves. Are any? Are you going to laugh at any of these clubs yet? PSG, uh, Brentford B is on here. Yeah, I'm not sure what Brentford B means. Ah, just he, be there in the resis. It'd be a resis player. Yeah, I mean, that's mean, kind of an obscure pickup. Means he probably spent some time playing with Lachlan Brook. Yeah, potentially. Oh, um, look at that, the Adelaide tie-in. But this this is a this is a good team with just I guess maybe their depth isn't as good as Japan's mm-hmm. is maybe they don't have the star power all over the pitch but they arguably have bigger stars. Oh well, they're bringing the biggest star to the tournament, aren't they? In Sunny, um, can you rely on him to just shoot you through to a tournament? Is he that good? You probably can if you have Kim at the other end stopping goals because he is an absolute wall. I think the thing that, that South Korea have this time around that they haven't had in the past is Hwang Hee Chan is potentially in career best form with Wolves and yeah. it's going to be super important to what South Korea can do in this tournament. Um, but obviously Lee Kang-in as well, um, he's the name obviously representing PSG in this tournament, 22 years old. Um, he's got four goals for the national team, but he's been good for PSG since he joined from Mallorca in the summer. So they've got a little bit more going around Sonny coming into this tournament than perhaps they've had in the past. Yeah, Truth. And they got um, Klinsman leading them now um, and he's bringing him in good form unbeaten in five. They set up. Okay. I think, I think they'll go deep as well. Yeah. Like I said, Kim, I don't know if we've talked about Kim on the pod this year. We talked about him last year. He was in a cu- I don't know, some one of us picked him picked him as our centre back. Our rest of world centre back from last season at Napoli winning the league and then went to Bayern Munich and just he's just a rock and he's 27. He's hitting his peak now. He's ready to go in with with Sonny and win this thing. But I don't know, it'd be an interesting battle with them, Japan, us. Um I think they're the three teams. I, I know Iran are gonna be competitive, but I think they're the three. Mm. Um I'm going. You just, you're going to discount Saudi Arabia. Uh, we'll get to them in a sec, but a, a little bit, I think. Yeah, I think I'm discounting them. Um, more Celtic connection because they seem to have a player in every squad at this tournament. But um, <laughs> most the two, represented. the two players in the Korean squad. One is Oh Hyun Joo, and the other is Yang Hyun Jun. And every time these two guys get minutes for Celtic, they come off the bench. And the comments are always just not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. <laughs> um, I 
Cooper, you got a few minutes of O action last week and you were baffled by what you were seeing. <laughs> yeah, he came on and just offered absolutely nothing. It was, it was moving like, around a bit. He's quite a sizable guy. <laughs> Good and energy. I thought, oh, it was they're, weird, they're, yeah. They're up late in the game. They've brought him on. He'll provide a target. And then he didn't. He just ran around. He was just nowhere. Ran around in positions he shouldn't have been in and just didn't provide any sort of anything at all. Uh, so there you go. Good stuff. Uh, what was the last group? Group F has Saudi Arabia, Thailand, Kyrgyzstan and Oman, uh, Saudi Arabia with Roberto Mancini in charge. Tommy, what do you like about this squad, if anything? Because you think <laughs> you think they're better than us, maybe, or or in uh, the mix. I think they're in the mix. Yeah, I think there's five. If you're going to do the three you've got, and then Iran and Saudi Arabia. Okay, I I'm literally just saying that though because people keep telling me that. I know nothing about Saudi Arabia, nor do I want to. All um, right. Surely they've gotten better because they're rubbing shoulders with elite footballers now and they all play in the Saudi league. So, and you know, some of them are potentially being coached by Steven Gerrard at the moment. And mm-hmm. I can only imagine how fruitful that is for one's football development. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I, um, I don't imagine how good it is to have a bunch of stars who are getting a retirement packet come into your league and <laughs> then less players play, you know, I don't know. Some of, some of these guys get to share a gym with Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, you can only imagine cares about them. <laughs> yeah, well, um, all of what eighteen months ago now, Saudi Arabia, uh, beat Argentina in Group C at the most recent they did. Uh, World, World Cup outing. So they must, I mean, there must be a little bit to them, and and we've seen in these tournaments before with Qatar winning the last one that you don't necessarily want to write anyone off. No, this is, it. Always comes back to this thing. Um. We'll probably get to it at some point through the tournament. We always do this where, like, people are going to be raving about that Australian fighting spirit and stuff as though no other country gives a fuck about their country, you know? And We're the only ones that have discovered patriotism. We go into these tournaments, like, remember when we hosted this thing and we found ourselves down to the UAE in the opening game, like, twice? Did we go behind twice in that game? I can't remember. I feel like it was 3-2, maybe 3-1. But we definitely went behind. It was like, oh, shit. We're up, we're up for it here, and teams are just coming at us hard and fast. Um, it's international football, and it's just, I think, a different it's a different beast when when you're playing for your country on this sort of stage, albeit in Qatar. I get the Asian Cup's not the same as a World Cup or Euros, but these are still this is this is the pedestal of international football for these nations. And there's a lot of guys here who are getting a crack um who who wouldn't otherwise normally be be on this sort of stage. So they're going to be bringing it. You've got to be up for it. I don't know if you think about as well, um, we saw the famous photos of Hyun Son crying in the change rooms after losing that final. And yeah. it was the discussion of the these a lot of these Asian countries, there's guys playing to actually, you know, if they can win a major sporting event with their country, they will not have to serve military time for their nation. And so some of these countries and players have a lot more on the line than potentially we do. And yeah, people just that. forget that those things exist outside of Australia. Then, then simply trying to make the front page of a newspaper that doesn't care about the game. Wow. Um, I'm going to finish with some wiki stats because we did this for the last tournament after Tom predicted Zambia to win the Women's World Cup. Um, Smokies. They're still smoking. The oldest player in the tournament, uh, Siwarak uh, Tetsunguan from... Thailand is 39 years old, 267 days. The youngest player is Beknaz Almazkabov, Almazbekov, I apologise, who is 18 years old from, do you want to guess which country? It's Kyrgyzstan, the former Soviet Republic, hence the (laughs) Russian-sounding name. Uh, You just called that straight away, like they're never getting it. Yeah, I'll just keep going. Uh, The Thai fella is the uh, the oldest goalkeeper as well. There you go. The youngest goalkeeper is Maxim Saraf from... Syria, I don't think he will start, but he's 18 years old. The the oldest cap. This is just a, a bunch of oldest and youngest captains. It's so dumb. The oldest captain is <laughs> Sunil Chitri from India. He's very young. The youngest captain is a 24 year old from Indonesia. The oh, oldest too coach young to be a captain. Are we ready for the coaches? Because barely any of the coaches at this tournament are from Asia. Branko Ivanovic. Oh, 69 year old Croatian in charge of Oman. Unreal. And Jesus Sassas is the youngest manager at 50 years old. 50 years old, the youngest international manager at the tournament. There you go. Uh, by Club Nationale, what else is there? There's not really a whole lot of exciting stuff. It's interesting, can, actually. If, 50. 
If I can give you the the one Asian Cup stat that I've got is that South Korea have appeared in more Asian Cup finals than any other nation, yet have not won the tournament since 1960, being runners-up five times since then. Brilliant. Rough. So good. Um, (laughs) The last interesting one I've got is uh, representatives of domestic league. Uh, So this is based on Mm. the team. So, for example, if you played for Australia, how many from Australia actually play in the A-League. So for us, it's mm-hmm. four. Um, there are oh, one, two, three, four, five teams where all 26 members of their squad play in that league. Do you want to have a go at them? Saudi Arabia. That's one. India. Uh, India is another. What do you reckon? Keep going. Um, I wanted to say Palestine, but I'm not even sure they have their own league. Yeah, that's <laughs> not, not on the list here. Where would they be playing? You don't need floodlights. You just got missiles lighting up the pitch. Um, you would have. Uh, are there any Thai players? No, Indonesia. Sure nah, we got India, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Vietnam. Oh, Thai. Vietnam! Yeah, Qatar, defending champs, all out of the Qatari league. There's something to that. All right. We might wrap it there. That's plenty, I think. It's too much even on a week of <laughs> FA Cup and Asian Cup. But Gloria waits for Craig Goodwin. He's going to be there at the end with a medal. I can't wait to see it. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll bring back some some match stuff. We're not going to the games, but we'll bring some pod stuff for after the games, obviously. Uh, That's stay we with were us. sending Cooper to Qatar. Stay with us. Keep an eye on the feed. We're going to record a red edition in a sec, which will have, well, there's been two two. Adelaide United home games in a week, one with Wellington, one with MacArthur, both ending in kind of disappointing draws, I think. But we'll get through that. Keep an eye on your feed. Go through that. Keep an eye on your socials. Um, Have a good week, folks. We'll see you next week.